Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Uh, if this is your first time at New Vintage, welcome. We're happy to have you online if you're checking us out for the first time there or uh, here live in the Ritz Theater. Uh, want to just let you know that we are starting a new series today, and for preachers, uh, that is fun. Uh, to get a new kind of canvas to paint on, and I've got a big one this time because we're going to cover most of the Bible, all right? And uh, that's a big, 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 big canvas. Um, in 2009, uh, there was a museum in Scotland, and they decided to, uh, they wanted to do this, uh, what they thought was kind of an artsy project. And so they, they took a Bible, and they went to this museum of art, and they put it out there uh, with some pins next to it. And they said this. They said, if you feel you've been excluded from the Bible, please write your way back into it. Now, guys like me, my ears perk up. And I go, well, I see a couple problems with that, which is why we're doing this kind of series. One is, first of all, the Bible is not about us to begin with. Uh, the Bible is fundamentally the self-revelation of God. It's him telling us about himself, uh, about how he has encountered humankind, sure. Why he created humankind, sure. But it's not really a, a, about us. And then on the other hand, the idea that people have been excluded from the Bible is also a little bit false because in a sense... We're all included because we're all created in the image of God, and that just because it was, you know, the, the writings of the Bible proper kind of ended, uh, you know, give or take, 2,000 years ago, doesn't mean that it has nothing to say today or that it doesn't impact my life whatsoever. But if I get that cart and horse reverse where I think the Bible exists for me, then I'm not going to read it very well. Uh, it would be like me trying to go, uh, I, I, would, I would read Romeo and Juliet and go, why isn't this say more about me. Uh, or I would read some other book uh, that had nothing really to do with me. I mean, it has to do with human beings and it has to do with other people. Like, why doesn't Don Quixote have more to say about me in it? Why, why doesn't um, the poetry of Toni Morrison talk about me more often? Why doesn't those kinds of things happen, right? So if you come to the Bible, which is meant to reveal who God is why we were created, how he's acted in human history with that lens, it tends to lead to an errant reading of the Bible, and we don't pick up on the big point of the Scriptures, which is not, how do I get God to know me? It's, how do I get to know God? Okay, because God, what we're going to come away with today, God already knows you, whether you like it or not. He knows you. He created you. Uh, and he knit you together in your mother's womb in a very specific way for a particular purpose. Now, even if you go, well, I don't like that, it's still the case. And that's how we ended up where we are. So this story of God, the story of how he interacts with his people, providence, if you will, how he provides, how he acts very concretely in human history, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what the Bible says and how he did it there, and then build the bridge over to what difference that makes for, for us today, okay? So, uh, reminder, the Bible isn't about us. It's fundamentally about God. It's the self-revelation of God, okay? So we don't need to read ourselves into it. We're kind of already in it, even if we're kind of off in the ex among the extras, okay? Or if it's a prequel to something we're living out today. This is a series about the story of God and when and how he works in the lives of people. So we're going to begin in the beginning, where you should. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Let's read it, shall we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. All right, so here's the difference. It says, in the beginning, he's not talking about God's beginning. It doesn't mean God started right there at that moment. It means what we experience here on the earth, that started. But God's story does not have a beginning or an end. That's the difference between his story and my story. Uh, his story has no beginning. His story has no end. Mine? Well, picture it this way. Picture a rope, a very long rope. It's a, you see it all, going all the way off stage on that side? This was too much work. That's why I didn't bring an actual one. You'll see why in a second. And that rope went all the way across the stage, and all the way backstage, and all the way through the kid's wing, and all the way through Manzanita, and then all the way up the second floor, third floor, off the balcony, all the way down Grand Avenue, all the way to the 15 freeway, all the way north, past Las Vegas, all the way to Utah. And you just keep going, 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 okay? If that's the story of God, okay, then I could go up with a Sharpie and put a little mark, and that's my life. It's a blip, a vapor. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not important. We'll talk about that. But what it does mean is that God's story is way longer. My genogram says somewhere in my mid-70s, the old spivey men, we just kind of say it's been real, y'all. See ya. Maybe I get 75. Maybe I get 80. Maybe I, maybe, maybe I die today. Who knows? But my story, while it's here on this earth, is meant and intended for a particular purpose, and that is to fulfill what God put me on this earth to do. And so my goal when I open the scriptures and my goal when I live my life is not fundamentally for me to go, okay, how can God help me today? It's for me to go, how can I throw myself full force into the mission of God and what he put me on this earth to do? And I believe by faith that if I do that, then all those things that I kind of want for my life, to live a life that actually has a point, to live a life that makes a difference, that's other than just a little, a little vapor, that, that will come true anyway. That I get all that too. But it's only really found when a person lives for something beyond themselves which is really what the Bible is. It's the revelation of God, who he is, and how he's interacted uh, in human history. So we read the very, very beginning. Now God's beginning, our beginning, actually not even our beginning yet. We're about to read that. That was the beginning of this thing, this little uh, terrestrial ball, as the hymns used to call it, that we walk on, the earth. Here's where we come in. This is day six, Genesis 1, 26. It says this, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Who's the our? I thought there was one God. There is. He exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Our image, in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Do you, do you notice the emphasis on he created mankind in his image. In his image, they were created. In his image. They keep, there's an echo in the room when you read through this text, right? Uh, the, in the image of God, he created them. Just men? Nope. Male and female, he created them. Both created in the image of God. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves along the ground. Skip down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, we're set apart in creation. Plants. Eh, no big deal. Water. Important. Not really that big of a deal. Land, monkeys, bananas, all good things. Pizza. It's not in there, but it should have been. That comes later. But I look at it, I go, you know, when it, when it goes, you get the sense that it's like this symphony. And it gets all the way to day six. And there's really only one thing created that's said to be in the image of God. And that's us. What does that mean, the image of God? It means we have a family resemblance. It doesn't mean physically. It means spiritually, that there's a divine watermark on my life. And he says there that he's creating in order for us to be like him, meaning we're created in his likeness, so that we will being made in his likeness, govern this world that we live in, reflecting who he is, being in his likeness. So my job as a human being, what I was put on this earth to do, is to reflect the glory of God, to bear witness to who he is because we have a family resemblance. So when I, and I want you to think about this for a moment, okay, because this will blow your mind. A lot of the things that we do when you, when you get upset at injustice, that's a little flash of the fact that you're made in the image of God. When you're creative, you feel the need to paint something, write something, compose something. It's a little flash. God, the, I mean, the massive creative, that, that, that creator, right? Those little flashes of things. When you're kind to somebody, when you see somebody hurt and you want to help them, when you get upset at unfaithfulness in relationships, all of those kinds of things are echoes of the divine watermark on our souls. Now, we often take them, and instead of reflecting the glory of God, sometimes we take them, and because of our flesh, we pervert them into something other than what they are, right? So you get mad at unfaithfulness, and so you go whack somebody. Well, that's not a reflection of the glory of God. That, but that, that germ of jealousy, as we'll read about, I, God, I, God, am a jealous God. What does that mean? Well, his jealousy is a little different than our jealousy. We'll talk about that later. But this idea that you and I bear a family resemblance to one another because we're all made in the image of God is something that Scripture says throughout. So, for instance, after God destroys the earth by flood in Genesis, uh, right during the story of Noah, when he, when he wipes the slate clean and starts over, here's what he says to Noah in Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds the, bloods of, the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Why don't we kill each other? Because we are made in God's image. James 3, 9, talking about people who gossip and slander and spew venom around. He talks to them and he says, listen, God has a real problem with that. Why? Because 
You are slandering people who are made in the image of God. Specifically, he says, with your tongue, you bless your Lord and Father, and with it, you curse people who are made in the likeness of God, James 3, 9. So there's a consistent theme that says part of the why we treat people the way we do is because no matter who they are and no matter how obnoxious we find them, they're still created in the image of God. So God cares about them, that God took the same care in creating them that he took in creating me. So I don't mistreat people. I don't kill people. I don't lie about people. I don't bear false witness against people. I don't defile people in any way, shape, or form if I can avoid it unless there's some reason that I need to rebuke or to challenge or to offer repentance to or call to repentance somebody. That also is part of the heart of God who wants to see people not be defiled and not sin. All of those things, you and I, whether you want to admit it or not, or I want to admit it or not, bear the divine watermark on our hearts and in our souls. So we treat human beings well, not just when they're nice to us, but because they're created in the image of God. Now, if we fully understood how much each person means to God, how, how precious each single life is, which regardless of, of skin color or age or any of those kinds of things, how might we live differently? Would it change the way that we speak about people, the way that we treat people? Well, how much more attentive might we be to suffering or the spiritual condition of others? This will be a familiar passage to those of you who are uh, a little more seasoned in the faith, but if you're not, I want to read this because I think it's telling about the care with which God creates human beings. This is the psalmist praising God in Psalm 139. He says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately, I can't speak English, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God loves every person more than I can love any person. Let that sing. You know, he doesn't understand how much I love my babies. Well, let me tell you something. He created your babies. You thought you did. No, you played a part. He knit them together. He ordained their days. He gave them the gifts they've got. I taught that to them. Who taught them to you? How'd you get them? You see, more than even a parent has an affection for their children. More than my wife is my wife. She's God's daughter. My daughters are God's daughters before they're my daughters. So in how I treat them, the way I see them. See, I find that to be a rather humbling thing. Because here's what happens. I have self-interested love, meaning I tend to care about people more than others. I care about my wife. I care about my daughters. I'm willing to say out loud, though maybe I shouldn't, I care about them a little bit more than a perfect stranger. I just do, right? God, because of his capacity to love and because of his involvement in the lives of every person. From before conception, if we listen to the psalmist, 
means that his capacity to love is greater than mine. Which, when I step back and think about it, is no crowning achievement. I tend to love in a very self-interested, temporary way. And so do you. That's why when you get mad, you don't treat people so well. Our love can kind of come and go. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have moments of majestic uh, sacrifice for people that we love and care about, or even perfect strangers, like in the story of the Good Samaritan or something like that. Then here in our city, we live in the 137th densest city in the world. 1,300 people per square mile. But we are 137th in the world. What's number one? Mumbai, India. 30,000 people per square mile. Roughly 30 times what we've got here in San Diego. All right? Or 20, 25, yeah, 26 point something. When we send short-term teams from our church out on the field, or, or we, you have the opportunity to travel internationally, and you see the people, and they don't speak the same language, but it appears to you, you know what? It seems like they love each other, too. Look at that. I thought only Americans loved each other, you know? Or you get out there, and you go to a foreign country, and you see how they do things differently, and at the same time, they're anonymous to you because you don't speak the language. You can't hear necessarily what's going on, but you can pick up on it a little bit. But over there... In the most crowded places, every hair on their head, crafted by the maker himself. Mind-blowing. In the year 2050, this is supposed to be the most crowded city in the world. This is Lahore, Pakistan. Yeah, it's a claustrophobic's worst nightmare, isn't it? Um, 2050, that's going to be the biggest uh, city, most densely populated city uh, in the world. Mumbai, I'll be gone. All right, but that, I just look at that and I go, okay, let's take one of these guys. Bottom left corner, uh, close to the bottom on the left, you see a guy in a red ball cap. It's backwards. God know that guy? Yep. But what if he's not a Christian? Still knows him. Knit him together in his mother's womb. He knows why his hat's on backwards. He knows when he's going to lose his hair. He knows that guy's name. He knows what he's trying to do right now. And he cares about where his story ends, how it ends, and whether his story is going to continue with him. He cares. Now, if that makes you a little bit nervous, uh, try a nice relaxing trip to the beach. This is Ipanema, Brazil. Now, yeah, you think we got problems. Um, I, I look at that, and I want you to go about middle up in the water, far left of the screen. There's a little tiny dot. Looks like it's probably a kid. God knows how well that kid can swim. God knows what's under the sea. God knows who their parents are. I don't know how you'd find your kid in that. But uh, every person knows every hair on their head. Well, beaches aren't your thing. You can try a visit to the pool. We got a pool visit here. Um, yeah, this is, uh, that's in China. Fourth blue inner tube from the top. <laughs> As you keep going, right? And it's like up over the guy's head and he's wearing it almost like a halo over his head. Okay, how in the world 
We look at that, you know what I do? I go, I'm not going there. No chance. And yet, God knows everyone. Doesn't scare him. Knows every single person. Knit every one of them together in their mother's womb. God loves every person more than I can love any person. All of us are made in the image of the one who loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of us all. So when we sacrifice for the sake of the world, because we bear the image of God, we're acting like Jesus, but we're also acting like humans who were created to reflect the glory of God. So the way you become most human is not to become the most divorced from God, it's to become the most like him, according to Genesis 1. The more like Jesus I become, the more like God I become, the more human I become. And if you want to live your life to the fullest, then that's the path you take. The extent to which I don't reflect the glory of God, I actually become not just less divine, I become less human. Because I wasn't put here for that. I wasn't created for that. I wasn't created to rebel against God. I was created to reflect his glory in the world. So, I know it's a little heavy. Hang in there. Here's a couple of things to add on top of this. And we're, we're building foundation today. Okay, why did God get involved? Why does he actually interact with humankind? Um, I want to put it this way. God enters our story so we can enter his. When human beings were created in the image of God, again, we were, we were created to reflect his glory, but yet we fall short at the same time. So that's why, for instance, if somebody says, hey, I want to know what God's like. How can I do that? We don't usually go to them, well, follow me around for a week. That'll show you. Most of us uh, would actually say, well, don't look at me. Uh, go look at this person who I actually respect and, and follow them. Now, Christians would say, go look at the person and work of Christ. That's, if you really want to know, the full representation of God, that's him. That is God incarnate. You can't get any more perfect of a life than that. That's the right place to point. But one of the things to note is that we wouldn't pick ourselves, most of us. And if you would, be careful. At least looking around this room. I know some of you. Be careful. Point them to Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. But we want to be, we want to be people who reflect the glory of God more and more on a, on a daily basis. And so when God reaches down and interacts with humankind, he enters into our story because he's doing something in the world and wants us to be a part of it. He enters in. So when God's people are thirsty, he gives them water. When they're hungry, he provides food. When they're lost, he provides guidance. When they're angry, he tells them to forgive as he has forgiven us. When they feel like he's not around, he tends to show up and say, let them know that he's still around. When they think there's no hope, he tends to provide hope. And he does those things not just to satiate our anxiety and our needs, quote unquote. He does it because he, want, he intervenes and engages our stories so that we can be a part of what he's doing. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to take on the likeness of Jesus as we do it. And so a lot of people, I think, they, they misunderstand that the idea is for God to somehow like, like the, the big thing is, okay, how, how can I get God to know me or understand me or, 
or, or whatever, when the reality is the Bible's really trying to get us to say, you need to get to know Him. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you're ever going to do, moment to moment. He already knew you were going to do that before you thought of doing that. He knows that. He knows you. Do you know Him? That's the question. And are you willing to take the time to get to know Him like you do when you're really trying to get to know somebody? Are you willing to do that? Now, a certain politician this week made internet history with, uh, with his uh, particular appearance at the inauguration. His name is, rhymes with Mernie Panders. And uh, so he's been placed as a meme, kind of cut out and placed at the Last Supper. I've seen them. Super Bowls, rap videos, UFC cage matches. Um, and it turns out he, he, he showed up at the Grand, too, actually. Uh, go ahead and put that up there. We spotted him early this morning. He's over there. Um, you got a few others, I think. Go ahead and scroll through them just briefly. He's at Manzanita. Uh, he made an appearance on the roof. So if you're up there, take a look. And here's Bernie on the, on the roof. And even earlier at the 9, you weren't here for it, but he was even in the band. You may have even noticed that. There he was. <laughs> so you see how that works, right? He's like, hey, I want so-and-so to be here. So I'm going to sit down, and I'm just going to make a little, do a little of this, do a little of that. And I can just put them here. And that means at least symbolically, they were here. All right? Some people, that's what they do. They kind of do what we just did with Bernie Sanders, but they do it kind of with God. They kind of plug him into their little story. Here he is, God. Can't you tell? That's why my Bible's on the shelf. Like a little Bernie Sanders elf on the shelf deal. Next Christmas, somebody's going to come up with that idea and make millions, all right? A Bernie Sanders elf on the shelf. <laughs> but we think, okay, we can put God into our story, just kind of Photoshop him in wherever we want, and that means he's actually involved. God is not a meme. He doesn't do memes. He does God. So when God intervenes in your story, you're going to know. Or you might go, well, somebody did this or somebody did that, and God's sitting there going, no, I did that. You know, when, when, when Ruth is down and Naomi are down to their last dime, and Ruth goes to the threshing floor with Boaz, or even before that, when she ends up in his field, and the Bible says, it just so happened, Ruth walked into any random field, and it just so happened, there was a guy she was related to who was her kinsman redeemer. So she's broke, she's a widow, they're hungry, and guess what? It just so happened that out of all the fields in Bethlehem, she happened to stumble into that field. What are the chances of that? What a remarkable coincidence. The night that the king is sitting there, uh, he can't sleep, it's the night before a man named Haman's getting ready to do mass genocide against the Jews. Just so happens the king can't sleep that night. So he asks his, I don't know, some, some guy in his court to get up, pull a book off the shelf, and read him to sleep. It just so happens he picks the, the book up, opens it up, just happens to read about a time when an old man named Mordecai saved him from death via a coup. 
And so he goes, what do we ever do to Mordecai? Do we ever do anything nice for that guy? The guy goes, no. And he says, well, we need to do something nice for him. And so they do. And in so doing, that whole plot to annihilate the Jews is gone. It just so happened. It just so happened. It just so happened. As you know, I'm prone to say it just so happens, happens a lot in the kingdom of God. It just so happened you're here today. Just so happens. Just so happened. Those coincidences that we think we see are often actually the intervention of God. And it's because God knows you. He knows more than your name. And let me kind of end with this idea. You know, Tennyson wrote, it's better to have loved and lost than who have never loved at all. Is that true? Now, God, when He creates us, makes a decision to relate. Knowing what, at times, we, a massive disappointment we're going to be. How many times we're going to rebel? What a mess we're going to make of the earth He created how we're going to treat each other like God has done nothing for us in our lives. It's a decision to have his heart broken a billion times, and he does it anyway. It's a little bit like even the most naive parent knows that when they make a decision that, hey, I, I think it's time for us to try to have kids, even the most naive parent knows it's not just going to be champagne and strawberries. That there will be diapers, there will be disease, there'll be disappointment, there'll be depression, there'll be all of these different things and ups and downs, and the kid might completely destroy your heart a thousand times, and they do it anyway. There's that little piece of the divine image, again at work, in humans. Where do we get that from? Maybe from a God who looked down at an empty earth and said, you know what? We know what this means. Let's do it anyway. And then calls us to act that way toward each other. So whenever we, we fight, oh, no, 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 what you did there, that, that's just not even right, so therefore i got to cut you off. Well, I'm kind of glad that God didn't treat me that way. You know, so, so that desire or willingness to actually relate, okay? We had two things that went on in our house this week that I thought were kind of interesting. One was uh, I, I was introduced to a song. It's supposedly number one. It's called Driver's License by Olivia Rodriguez. I'll ask the teen section. Is that right? Okay. Okay, first, when the song starts, you know, you kind of like, okay, what, what are my kids listening to? Okay. I had no idea they were deaf, my children. Turns out they might be. At the beginning of the song, she sounds like a very sad, it sounds like the sad mating call of a wounded walrus at the beginning. And then the song progresses. By the time it's over, it's not awful. It's not awful. 
So I listened to it again. I was like, all right, a little less awful. I can see why somebody with no taste in music could like this. I can see it. From a distance, I can tell, right? And I said, all right, and I listened to it again. And now, of course, in my house, I mean, the, the, my wife and my daughters kind of control the radio most of the time. And so I don't have a choice if I'm going to listen to it again. It kind of just gets forced on me. But the more I listen to it, the more I kind of like, at least I understand a couple of things. One is why somebody might like the song. And number two, I understand that my daughters do. All right? So you spend the time doing that so that you can understand their world a little better. We had the boyfriends over for dinner this weekend. Not just one. I have two daughters with boyfriends. We had one on Friday. We had one on Saturday. The funerals are Monday. I'm just kidding. It was fine. It was fine, right? But the reason that you do that uh, is because you want to get to know them because you're like, okay, if my daughter sees something in this person, well, I'd like to see it in them too. I want to get to know them. So you spend the time, right? It's not because they're worth it. They're not, in hindsight. But the, to my daughters, it's worth it, right? They're worth it. So listen, we come at this story and we go, yeah, I want God to spend time getting to know me. That's not really what the Bible asks. The Bible wants you to spend the time to get to know him. You're listening to the wrong songs. We're eating with the wrong people. We think, why doesn't God have us over? It's the wrong direction. You see what I'm saying? The idea is God's going, in fact, that's the actual image used in Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opened the door, I'll come in and eat with them. They can eat with me. We're not the ones knocking at the door trying to get God to let us in. God's the one knocking at the door begging to come in. So when you approach the Bible that way and the story of God and you go, yeah, I want to write myself back into that story. You're already in it. You're already in it. But it's his story. And we are blessed to even be here. To have one little mark on the rope. And to be able to, to sit here and go, okay, God, you were kind enough not just to give me life, but to actually put your divine watermark on my soul and to put me here on this earth to reflect your glory to others. So the question isn't, God, why don't you get to know me better? The question is, God, how can I get to know you better? I want to know you. I want you to show me who you are. I want to know how you're working in my life. If I've got people I care about that are outside the faith, I want to know how you're working in their lives. I mean, the Bible talks about that at some length, actually. That there are acts of grace that God grants to all people in ways that he's woken people up. In fact, 
like we're going to talk about next week, he's willing to wrestle. He's a good wrestler, as it turns out. So is Jacob, actually, it appears. We're going to talk about that one next week. Jacob wrestling with God physically. Okay, so when God interacts with your world, okay, first of all, accept that he, he is. The fact that you're here means he intervened in your world. For what purpose? So that we would, as people made in the image of God, reflect his glory in the world. How do we do that? Well, that's why we spend time getting to know him. And that's what this series is about. How is it that God jumps down or wrestles, speaks, acts in ways that make people want to get to know him, that help us know him? And so we're going to go all through different parts of Scripture, bounce around a little here and there, different stories that show God's very proactive engagement with human life. And hopefully we'll be able to, by looking at those, understanding what we can learn from God, about God, who he is, build the bridge over to Monday to Saturday. Okay? Right now we're going to celebrate the ultimate intervention of God in human life, and that's Jesus Christ himself. When God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You should have received a little bag when you came in. I know it's not flashy. It's what we do during these times. Um, it's called communion. We do it every Sunday here. Little piece of bread, a little bit of grape juice. Jesus asked us to do this in remembrance of him. And so today, um, Let's accept the invitation. It was him who said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That invitation is there for you. If you haven't accepted it yet, maybe this is the day. For people like myself, who maybe have been a, bit, a little bit longer uh, in the tooth from a, from a faith standpoint, I, my job is to look at it and say, First of all, thank you, God for being willing to intervene in my life in the way that you have. And uh, go ahead, and if you want some communion, you didn't pick it up on the way in, you can put your hand in the air. We have ushers bringing it to you. we got a few down here in the front. <clears throat> but what I want you to understand is that there is no life that God did not create. There is no life he has not touched. There is no life that he's given up on. So our prayer is we take communion in remembrance of Christ. The one of whom it said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Later at the end of that chapter, it'll say, He came to this earth full of grace and truth. So our journey from right here at the very beginning of time to the empty tomb begins now. My hope is that you're going to find how that story intersects your own. You will. But get to know his story first. And as you do, you're going to get to know your own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, for all the different stories present in the room, uh, for the love that you've shown each of us by... just giving us life. That means it has purpose, Lord. We're thankful for that. That we don't have to live a meaningless existence, but we know why we're here. And that is to
demonstrate, to reflect and magnify your glory here in this place. And so, Father, we pray now that as we take the bread and the cup, which represent the body and blood of Jesus, Father, that we remember Jesus who came and lived his life on mission, the one who is the ultimate intervention in the, in, into the lives of, of your creation. So, Father, we say thank you, and we open the door. It's in his name we pray. Amen.